0: Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, joining me from her home, obviously via Zoom, is my friend Ashley Stone. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I am so happy to be on your podcast. It's I am the biggest fan. Um, love this podcast so much. So thank you for having me.
0: Um, I reached out to Ashley because she runs a podcast. Um, and tell us the name of your podcast, Come Back Podcast. Is that Yeah, right?
1: yeah, Come Back Podcast.
0: And um, it's just a terrific podcast. So I became aware of it. We've traded some messages. And I thought I would really like Ashley to be on the podcast to share her story of not being in the church and returning to the church. But then she's got 58 episodes in a year of people who have not been active in the church and returned to the church. And I love these stories. And and so I just wanted to connect you listeners with her podcast. I'm not trying to be the podcast guy. <laughs> I like seeing new podcasts come online and, and new people take a focus like Ashley's done. I don't know if you're a natural marketer, but um, I, I'm a marketer. So when I see that you've just decided to keep this really targeted, Ashley, um, that made a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah, I um, I don't know if I have like I don't know what it was. I kind of feel like Heavenly Father wanted it to happen, and all of these stars aligned. Um, Lauren, who I do the podcast with, she also has a comeback story. She's episode seven, I believe, on the podcast, but uh how we reconnected we were childhood knew each other from childhood i was friends with her sister but we just totally ran into each other at the store and started talking and like all of these stars aligned and she has edited every single episode she pours her heart into the podcast and she is the perfect yin to my yang i guess you could say <laughs> because i am very disorganized and all <laughs> over the place and and she is just Everything that makes it happen. And so I feel like it was really Heavenly Father that just wanted it to happen. And it, that we hear every single week, you know, we have new episodes and, and people reach out and say, this one was just for me. You know, I, this, this is exactly what I needed to hear. And so that really keeps it going.
0: And that's Lauren Rose, isn't it? It is. Yep. And uh, she's episode, um, I guess well we'll get into the numbers I'll let you get in the numbers Ashley spells her name different I I like to see names spelled correctly tell our listeners stone is spelled the way we'd assume stone is spelled yeah. but tell our listeners listeners how Ashley is spelled
1: It's A S H L Y and my dad he taught English for many years and I want to say that like he just I don't know. It's kind of a, a gift and a curse because no one will ever spell my name right the first time ever. So, but it's all good. I It's unique and I like it. So we'll take it.
0: So listeners, I hope Ashley's going to share some of her story. She's been all, on the All In podcast. We'll link to that in the show notes. We'll link obviously to Ashley's podcast series as well as um, her individual podcast on her platform the Comeback podcast and the show notes. So she may go deeper in those two podcasts, but she shares about her journey with heroin and being in jail. And that's pretty brave to open about up about that. And you'll probably tell us why you open up about it and how you work through that. Um, you're married, you have two kids. And then I think you'll also tell us like why you decide to start this podcast. And so yeah. with that sort of uh, overview, I'll just let you run with it however you want to run.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, um, I grew up in the church. I, I had a testimony at a young age. I remember having spiritual experiences at a young age. Like one that really sticks out to me is I was at my, my aunt's house in California and, uh, she had a children's Bible there. They aren't members of the church or anything. They just happened to have this children's Bible at their house. And I just started reading it and I was maybe seven or eight at the time. And after I read this Bible, I, um, I remember feeling this overwhelming, warm feeling inside. And I went to my mom and I said, mom, I feel this warm feeling in my heart. And she said, that's the Holy ghost, Ashley. And, and, um, that was a, just something that forever has stuck with me. Like, I, I don't know if I've ever really felt something that strong you know, that, that I recall, um, it was just such a profound moment for me that I've always remembered. And, um, and I, I always wanted to do the right thing. I was always the top of my class, you know, I never wanted to get in trouble. And I remember in, in elementary school, like we used to get color changes. Like that was how you would, uh, get in trouble in elementary school back in, back in the day. And, I never got one my entire elementary school years, except for balancing something on my head one time. And like that was (laughs) seared into my memory because I just always wanted to be good. I never wanted to get in trouble. And, um, and then when I got into middle school, that's when I started to just feel uncomfortable in my own skin. I don't remember feeling like I had a testimony really in middle school. It just wasn't important. It wasn't, I think like my family in general was just kind of going through just some challenges. And I think we just maybe weren't as connected as we could have been, but like my parents, they always tried to keep us close to the church, but we just, I don't know, like I just, there was a a, a gap there. And I remember feeling just so self-conscious, like I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't skinny enough. I wasn't cool enough, all the things. and. Um it was the summer after my 8th grade year that I was hanging out with some friends and they were all smoking pot and I I was like, you know, I was waiting for this feeling of like, don't do it. But that feeling didn't really come and so I decided to try it. And afterward, I just was like, "Oh my gosh, that was cool." I didn't really get high the first time, but I just like I felt like I just, you know, did something kind of bad and it I don't know. Like I felt kind of cool. And then after that, a couple of months went by and I tried alcohol for the first time. And this was like this feeling of confidence for the first time in my whole life. Like just, I could talk to anybody. I could do anything. And it, you know, I became like wanting to do that all the time. Me and my, my friends were 14, 15 years old, and we were drinking alcohol pretty much every weekend and hanging out with older guys. And my parents didn't really have any idea what was going on. Um, I would just say, "Hey, I'm sleeping at my friend's house. And then we would be off, you know, doing all kinds of stuff we shouldn't be doing. And, um, it got pretty bad. And I remember I was really emotionally, distressed. Like I remember writing in my journals and saying like I wish I would die and things like that. Just not that I was suicidal, but I just remember thinking I had it's interesting how when you start living your life in like living a secret life, how it just destroys your peace inside. Like you you can't when you're not living with integrity, it just really is challenging on your mental health in my experience. Um, and I just was miserable. Um, I, I started to do everything that I could get my hands on pills, you name it. I would try it. I had, there was nothing I wouldn't try. Um, I started dating this guy that was a lot older than me. Um, I think I was, I turned 16 and he was 21. And, um, And then my parents, actually, I was planning on dropping out of high school and I went to the school, I was already going to an alternative high school for naughty kids. And I went to school that day to tell them that I wanted to, you know, drop out essentially. And my parents just so happened to be there and they were with these two people all dressed in black. And they said, we're going to handcuff you if you don't cooperate. And you're coming with us. And I was just like, huh? Like, what?
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: I had no idea what was going on. And they they took me to a adolescent facility in Laverkin, Utah. Wow. And it's closed down now for all kinds of allegations and it's very controversial. <laughs> and um I was there, it was a lockdown facility um, with gate like bars, you can't get out, like very much like a jail kind of and i was there for 15 months when i was 16 and it's interesting because a lot of people have a lot of trauma surrounding that experience but for me it was actually exactly what i needed to you know preserve my life at that time because you know i can't imagine how i could have kept on going how i was and my parents couldn't control me and um i remember telling them I'm gonna emancipate myself. Just I was out of control. Like I was a wild, wild teenager. And um, so anyway, at that program, one of the things that it really taught me was that I could have fun sober. Like I, I experienced sobriety um, and a, you know a, quite some time of sobriety. And I remember running cross country and loving it, just feeling like a natural. Feeling of joy and accomplishment, and that I hadn't really felt in a really, really long time. And I just loved it. And my therapist there was actually—he uh, was a bishop at the time—and I had this just. He kind of felt like a dad to me, kind of, and still to this day we're friends. And I just appreciate his example, and you know, him being there for me. And I just really looked up to him. And, and I remember thinking that he was, he just had something different about him, you know, like different in a, it made me feel safe. It made me feel like a feeling of being at home and, and, um, everybody just loved him. And, um, yeah, and he, he's still in that same line of work today. And, um, he's just a, he's just a genuinely good human being. And, um, so anyway, Another notable person at that program was the librarian who he actually knew my aunt. And so we kind of connected on, he would try to talk to me about church stuff a little bit. And, you know, I was 16 and I didn't really, I don't know, like I, I, I tried to pray and stuff like that, but I just, I, it wasn't enough to keep me sober, I guess. And um, so after I got out of that program, I was back drinking again within maybe six weeks. And my parents, I turned 18 shortly after. And my parents, they just really didn't know what to do with me. I moved out. And it, shortly after that, I got back together with the guy that I was dating before I went there. And he was now on the harder drugs like heroin. And I was just like, well, I don't know. Like in my looking back, I'm just like, what was I thinking? Did I not think like heroin might be a bad idea? Like, where was my brain? I don't know. But I I just decided to try it. And it took three times of using heroin before I was hooked. And I started to feel super sick when I didn't have it. And so I was super dependent on it. And I just was starting to be consumed in that lifestyle. Um I went to jail. My parents bailed me out. And then just so I could keep my job. And then shortly after that, my parents called the cops on me because they knew that I was headed down a really bad path. Um, I was arrested on all kinds of felony charges and ended up going through the drug court program in St. George. And I did that whole program. Um, one thing that I noticed about being in that program was I wasn't going back to church. I was. I was sober, but I was still just like smoking cigarettes, like hooking up with guys, like, you know, just, I was sober, but I was just really disconnected from any sort of spiritual experiences or anything like that. And I just, I don't know, that was like how I defined who I was, was like this lifestyle, I guess. Um, I At that time, I felt really just kind of empty, I guess. Like I was going through the motions and doing what they were telling me to do. I just never really felt like I was a whole person. And um, so I, at the end of the drug court program, I started drinking right after that. I was like, I'm 21. This is what 21 year olds do. They drink. How can I ever have fun again if I'm not drinking? You know, like, so I started drinking, and then I actually moved to Arizona for a job, and I started working there. and just coincidentally, I saw some kids that were working with me, and I could tell that they were high on opiates because of the how their eyes looked. And I said, I know that you have drugs and I want some, and there that ended my downworld so ended like my whatever I had that was remotely close to um trying to drink like a normal person. Um, I quickly became hooked on heroin again. Um, this time I was shooting it up. I was an IV heroin user. I ended up moving in with a guy that I was dating and, um, he was my drug dealer. He started as my drug dealer and I lived with his mom, his dad, and his brother. And everyone was on drugs except for his dad who was dealing the drugs, And it was just a whole house full of people that were using drugs. And it was a really, really dark time. And I lived in that house for about a year. And I just remember I was trapped. Like I was trapped. I could, I would call my dad and I would just say like, I need help. Please help me. My dad would, he put me in different detoxes throughout that time, but it was just a couple of days. And then I would want to get out and get high because what it's like is you are, you will do anything to get drugs. When you're sick, you'll do anything because you're so sick and so discontent that you just, you will do anything. But when you're high, you'll do anything to get sober because it's like, you can see the wreckage of your life when you're not just so sick. So when you're in that, like in between phase, it's like, Oh my gosh, like, I know I can't keep functioning this way. You know, my life is going to be destroyed. And but that the second those withdrawals kick in, the only thing you can think about is getting high. So I'm, I'm, you know, in this house for a year. And then my dad, I finally just got to the point where I knew I was going to die. If I didn't stop, I knew it. And I had been to jail several times and I knew that I was going to get in big trouble. You know, I wasn't, this wasn't any small thing that I was doing. It was a big deal. And So I called my dad and he was, um, he was a teacher and he left, he took a leave of absence from school. He drove down to Arizona and he came to that drug house and picked me up. And I, I, I didn't know like what to do. He didn't even know what what to do with me at the time. He's just like, he is one thing about my dad is he is just the most Christ-like person I've ever met. Like he would do anything, you know, to save my life. And um, so we got in the car and he's like, Ashley, if I take you to rehab, are you gonna stay or are you gonna run away? And I said, it was that moment that I really surrendered and I was like, Okay, put my seatbelt on. We're doing this. Um, I he dropped me off at a cold turkey detox in Fresno, California. I was there for 10 days. And I had never been to a cold turkey detox before. So, you know, I was coming off of heroin, Xanax, alcohol, pretty much anything, like everything under the sun I was detoxing from. And after 10 days there, I checked into the Salvation Army in Fresno, California. And I got there and I was kind of like... They wanted me to sign a paper saying that I was going to participate in their religion because they have this, their own religion. And, you know, I had my, my roots in the church. And so I was kind of like, Oh, I don't know how I feel about that, but you know, where else was I going to go? I was just dropped off here. So I signed the paper and, you know, went along with it. And I was there for about, I don't know, maybe like two weeks. And the preacher brings me in his office and he's like, okay, Ashley, choose the Bible to use while you're here. And he had this shelf with like a hundred Bibles on it that had been donated to the Salvation Army. And I'm like, okay. So I choose the pink Bible and he hands it to me and I'm sitting in his office and I open this Bible and there's a book of Mormon bookmark in it. And I'm like, wow, no way. Like out of all the Bibles on this shelf, you know, and we're in Fresno. I'm the only person here that has any sort of background in the church I find this I get this one pink one that has a Book of Mormon bookmark in it. and I just couldn't believe that that I saw that in that Bible. And I knew, you know that was Heavenly Father saying like you are in the right place. like and it's interesting because in those early days, you know, when I was first just starting to defog from all the drugs and everything, and I was maybe kind of like opening my heart a little bit to the possibility of just spirituality, because the Salvation Army' is a Christian-based program. So you know, we were learning about Christ and doing a lot of Bible study, and um, it just kind of opened my heart back up to the the possibility of um, these spiritual experiences. And I just remember all of these things would happen that would be just kind of undeniable, like the bookmark. I would be working in the warehouse because we had to tag all the clothes. It was like working in a thrift store kind of a thing. And, um, I would be like, I hate this. This sucks. Like I'm out of here. I'm going to go get high. Like I can't do this anymore. And like an EFY shirt would come through my line and it would be like, keep going. You got this or something like that. Like all of these little messages would just be coming to me. And I would, I just knew that Heavenly Father was aware of me and that he was like guiding my path. And so towards the end of my stay at the Salvation Army, I um, got an email from that librarian that I was telling you about in my adolescent facility that knew my aunt. And he just sent me an email and said, Hey, Ashley, just wanted to see how you're doing or whatever. And I emailed him back and I was like, Hey, I'm in rehab. You know, I really messed up. And and he emails me back and he says, Ashley, if you read the book of Mormon every single day, I promise you will never go back to your old life. And I was like, Hmm, that's a bold claim. You know, (laughs) I had been in and out of rehab 15 times and in and out of jail and, you know, all these things, but... I thought, you know what? I don't have anything to lose. Like, I'm just going to give it a try. So I have literally read the Book of Mormon every single day since he told me that 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. And spoiler alert, like he was right. <laughs> so, um, and I think it's interesting because President Nelson has a, there's a quote from President Nelson that says um, that if you immerse yourself in the book of, I'm going to butcher this. So, but the, the gist of it is that if you immerse yourself in the book of Mormon every single day, you will be immunized against the evils of the day, including my numbing addictions. And so I have like such a testimony of that because, um, you know, even if, even if it's super late and I'm super tired, I do not, I will at least make sure I read at least one verse because I know the power in reading the book of Mormon and I've seen my life change. So Anyway, I had been giving that a chance. And so I i still didn't know. I'm like, I, I just don't see how I could ever have fun again if I'm not at least drinking. I just couldn't picture that. So I, um, I just wasn't really sure. But I decided, um, you know, I completed the program. And I went back to my parents' house in St. George. And I thought, I'm going to do everything they say. I'm going to get my temple recommend, my limited use temple recommend. And I'm going to do everything the church asks of me. And if it makes me happier, then I'll keep going. And if it doesn't, like it doesn't do it for me, then I'm going to drink again. And that was like my experiment. I was going to experiment and see. So I went through, I had been smoking cigarettes this whole time and drinking coffee. Like if you're early in recovery, cigarettes and coffee are just like what gets you through. And so... I was meeting with my bishop and going through the repentance process. And, you know, I had to quit smoking and drinking coffee and it was really, really hard. And, but it was like, the only way I can describe it is the enabling power of the savior's atonement, because I was actually able to quit doing these things. And I just like would chew Nicorette gum. And then I would like slowly wean myself off the Nicorette gum until I was not, chewing gum, or smoking or drinking coffee. And it was literally miraculous that I was able to do that when that had been like my crutch for so long. And I think sometimes that's like almost harder than quitting really hard drugs because hard drugs, they, they you act, you have to eventually make a choice of, am I going to live or am I going to die? You know, they just destroy your life so quickly that it's like, you just can't maintain a normal life. But Cigarettes and coffee, like you can totally maintain a normal life. And so it's actually really hard to quit because you're going about your regular life and it's not like destroying your everyday, you know functioning. So anyway, just the ability to quit that was really, really cool. Um, so anyway, I do these things, and then i I get my limited use temple recommend and I go to the temple to do baptisms for the dead with my singles ward. And I was just like waiting for, you know, the angels to come down from heaven and say like, way to go, Ashley, you made it. And it wasn't like that. Like, it wasn't like I had this like big, you know, burning in the bosom moment or anything, but I, I knew that I felt better in that moment than I did when I was first sober. And I knew that I was like, okay, like I I do feel better, so I'm just going to keep going with this. Like I'm going to I'm going to keep taking the next step forward and long story short, I I go to California and I'm uh doing door-to-door sales with uh some guy some some friends and they were a really good example to me and I just kept going to church and kept doing my thing and um Then I found out that I had a warrant in Arizona for a DUI that I didn't take care of. And I knew that I had to go back there. If I was ever going to get my driver's license again, I knew I had to go back there and face it. And it was really scary because I, I don't know, like I was, I, you know, I had been getting my life together. I was actually called into the Relief Society presidency (laughs) in single sword And I'm like, hey guys, I gotta head out. I'm gonna turn myself into jail. (laughs) So um anyway, but I I was really afraid and terrified. And it was really interesting because I had the missionaries over at my apartment and I was as I was preparing to go do this, and their message was, God will work all things to the good of those who love him. And I was like, is that a coincidence that they just like said that? Like, is it could he even work jail to the good like how could that be and um and then i was actually reading my patriarchal blessing that same night in my room and that same line is mentioned in my patriarchal blessing that god will work all things to the good of those who love him and i thought okay that can't be a coincidence <laughs> that i just you know heard that same message twice so I go back. Well, my Bishop in California, he actually said, you know what? I actually have a cousin in Arizona that, you know, maybe I'll introduce you guys. Um, They might have a place for you to stay. And I was just like, okay. So this family, they have five kids and little kids and I go there and my Bishop's like, Hey, this girl, she's turning herself into the jail. She has, you know, (laughs) drug charges and whatever. Well, they actually let me live with them. And I, I, now I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. Like, I don't know if I could, but, you know, um, Stacy, who's my friend and she wouldn't mind if I share her name, but she, you know, told me that she just felt impressed to let me stay with them. And, um, it's interesting because, they would drive me to the jail and drop me off so I could go do my work release. And I was sleeping at the jail and it was actually the tent city jail. Uh, it's not open anymore, but if anybody's here is familiar with Ten city, it's like famous for being the worst jail in the country. So um, they would drop me off and pick me up and I was there. And then I had to be on a, on house arrest for like three weeks. So I had to wear this ankle monitor and they just, I was there for Christmas and they just loved me through that whole thing. And still to this day, I call them my adopted family and they call me their adopted daughter. And they're, it's just incredible to see how the Lord truly worked that whole situation to the good. And now we just laugh about it. We're Mm -hmm. like, remember that time I was on house arrest, wearing my boots to church to hide my ankle monitor. Like, so Anyway, it just was a really incredible experience, um, to meet them and just to see how, you know, that something so bad turned into something pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, so kind of moving along, I ended up, uh, meeting my husband who also has a story that's very similar to mine. And, um, we just reconnected and we ended up getting married and, um, and then we, we've actually been really passionate about, you know, the addiction recovery program. We've shared our stories at many firesides and, um, it was very divine for us to come together and just something really special. And, um, yeah, so now we have two kids. We were married in the bountiful temple and, um, I celebrated 10 years of sobriety on February 10th of this year. So yeah.
0: You know, listeners, I just, I have no idea what I'm getting into when I do these podcasts. We don't do a lot of, like, screening, and I don't know someone's story. I'm hearing it for the first time. Some of you may have heard Ashley's story, but I'm just so moved. So moved. Um, and your courage to talk about your story. Uh, um, I. You know, when you hear these stories, you sort of go, I want to humanize people more. I want to go through really hard times, addiction and jail, because I sort of sense there's not, you didn't wake up and say, what can I do to disappoint God? What can I do to turn my back on the, my parents? What can I do to be a bad person? Um, I think more of these stories I hear, these are really good people. Um, and the core of them is really good. I I liked what you said about alcohol. It helped me understand. You said it just made me feel more confident. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to feel more confident. That's not We're not giving an invitation to anybody to go drink alcohol to be more confident. Because I think you know the totality of Ashley's story. But a lot of this bottom of the iceberg stuff that starts before it's an addiction is the need to belong, the need to fit into a group the need to numb pain, the need to feel better in a quick way. And so it comes kind of innocently and, um, and then it just like your story, it just, you know, kind of leads to more and more stuff and there's really good people and you have really brave things like going to LaVerkin for 15 months. Um, but it doesn't change, you know, then you said this word, I really surrender. I wrote that down and, um, it's the first time you use that word in the podcast, um, sort of this moment where you knew it was either sort of the end of my life or I have to turn this around. And and that sort of reminds me of the prodigal son. I think we're all the prodigal son or the daughter. It's this moment. The word in Luke is he came unto himself. And maybe that's the same feeling you had. as uh, And they were sort of, instead of looking backward moments of trying to recap where you got here, it's sort of. Looking forward, not so you're instead of looking backward in shame and self loathing and what could have been, they're sort of positive moments saying, I, I surrender mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward now um, because I surrender. Um, more thoughts, just those are just some observations. Um, the other observation I have is you may have never imagined that your life would be like this. You've come out of this, you're bright, you're articulate. You have incredible gifts, you know, just looking at you on the screen and hearing you talk. Some people in addiction may think my brain is forever ruined or my ability to have a marriage is forever ruined or my ability to be a parent and teach correct principles is ruined because I didn't live them. (laughs) Um, Maybe you can talk about that because I think a lot of people say, well, I could never be a good mom or a good wife because of my past, the prodigal son past and. I think that undersells the atonement. But but anyway, just thank you for being so brave with your story. And I don't think this was out of rebellion. Um, I love your father and this whole story, doing everything he can. But for parents with kids on addiction, I think you can tell that your dad did everything he knew how to do, um, but he couldn't solve this. And that's just the challenge of right. raising children is they have to work this through and we do the best we can. So back to you for more comments.
1: Yeah. Um, well, one one comment that I have is that I think one thing that was really pivotal for me was that I I just what you said, I stopped trying to re rehash the past. Like I I feel like I spent a lot of time trying to understand why and you know, why I did what I did. And I was in therapy and in all of my different rehabs and what really truly made the difference for me is my experiment to see what would happen if I did everything that the church asked of me, you know, including things like drinking coffee that I just didn't get. why couldn't I drink coffee? you know but I was like, you know what I'm gonna I've done it my way and it's clearly not working so I'm gonna do everything they asked me to do and and I really quickly realized that I was more free by doing all of these things that I thought were so restrictive for so long. I was finally free of these chains that I was in. And like, I think some people think the church is restrictive and, you know, we're asked to do all of these things, but like true freedom is found in keeping the commandments. I, I realized in my experience and, um, I think that I, I realized I was able to create the person that I wanted to be. I always felt limited by things, like just by just self-limiting beliefs. And I decided, you know, I I found different talents that I had. And I I decided to create this life that I wanted. And um and it started to be just really cool, you know. And Another thing that I found was that by really embracing the gospel, I found that there's so much more depth to life. You know, there's a purpose behind it and there's just this whole other, you know, there's just so much more to it than I had experienced before. And, um, and I just really, that, that really meant something to me. And now, you know, with my podcast, it's. It's so cool to see how other people go through similar things where they they realize that, you know, okay, we're doing all these things that are world, worldly things and then once we decide to just like experiment and just like take one step towards the savior and just to s- see what happens and is he really there? Like is he really going to help me? And if you just take that one step, it's incredible to see what happens with your life and how heavenly father will show up for you in ways that you could have never imagined. And I've seen that so clearly in so many stories of, of people on my podcast. And so, um,
0: yeah. I love the experiment. I mean, that reminds me of Alma 32 and just, okay, I'm going to, I love your approach to this. I'm going to experiment. I'm going to get a limited use recommend. Um, I love that sort of like step in the journey. It's sort of like I'm not fully committed to being Mormon for the rest of my life and living all the commandments, because that may be a little much to take on given where you are. But I can handle getting a limited use recommended and, and being in the temple and seeing if that brings me the next step in my journey. And I just love the way you approach that. You bit as much of an apple off as you could chew and but it took a really courage for you to give up coffee and tobacco and cigarettes. Yeah. I realized the first time how that can be a soft landing given where you've come from mm-hmm. um, and sort of like, okay, well, I'm going to do that, I guess. And so I can get in the temple and it wasn't just like angels were there, but I think there's power in the temple. I, I love this line, Ashley, you just said, I can create the person I want to be or I wanted to be in and that is a beautiful thing that even with all the stuff you've been through, you still believe that about yourself. Do you want to, because ex- I, I don't know if you always felt that way, and talk, just expand on that a little bit, because there may be listeners that just think that's beyond my hope at this point. I'm so far gone, or life, you know, just, it, you. that's a really powerful statement. And I think is something our heavenly parents would say to us. Mm-hmm all oh, so talk a little bit about that or anything else you want to talk about
1: yeah yeah for sure um so i think that i've seen this with my husband too um i remember when i was just completed my my adolescent facility that i was at and it's like i didn't even think i was capable of like signing up for college like i didn't even know and it's funny cuz my dad is like has his doctorate degree and i could have easily done it, but it's like, I might, I just didn't think that I was capable of that. And I always wanted to go to hair school and, you know, do all these things. And I just couldn't ever, I didn't think I was ever capable. And um, I mean, by small and simple things, great things come to pass. And I've seen that in my life. Um, You know, when we first got married, I was just I don't know, like I I still was kind of figuring things out, but I kind of realized after doing summer sales that I had a knack for sales. And, um, and so, you know, now it's been, I don't know, we got married almost eight years ago and now I am a co-founder and a chief growth officer at a company that is a software company for treatment centers that it follows up with the, the alumni after they complete treatment and addiction recovery. So that um they can stay connected to the treatment center. And I would have never in a million years thought that like I had the I had it in me to like wow have such a cool job, you know? And um, and my husband, he too, he now he owns a drone light show company and does drone light shows all over the place, all over the country. And wow. Um, and it's just we just like decide we're gonna do something and then we just like not like we don't, those limiting beliefs don't hold us back anymore, and it's really, I mean, so anybody listening, I would encourage you like, if there's something that you want to do, like y- your past does not define you. In fact, I think that my past has given me the building blocks, like, I would never probably have the job I have today that is software for addiction treatment centers if I didn't have the past that I have. And it's, it's really put the building blocks. Sorry. Um, It's, it's really put the building blocks in place for my whole life, you know, and uh, my husband and I, we, we have this dream that one day we're going to open a treatment center. And we've always wanted to do that. And that's kind of like our end goal. And my goal is, I mean, we'll see what happens, but I'd love to recreate this model that I've done, which is like using the gospel to heal your heart so that you can move forward past all of that trauma. And I feel like I tried everything. I tried AA, I tried rehab, I was in jail, I was in drug court, I was in all the things. And it wasn't until I decided to experiment and see if the Savior's atoning sacrifice was really for me. And if going back to church really did you know, if that was really gonna make a difference, that's when everything changed for me. And um, I know we're kind of running out of time, so I want no, to just like share a little bit about my podcast because it's something that's really special to me. and um, and so uh, I think it was about a year ago. I don't know if you remember this, but a lot of people, the not gonna lie thing was going around on social media. And a lot of people were saying it was their, their place to announce they're leaving the church or why they left. And people were asking questions and, and I saw it and I was actually like pretty just sad kind of, because for me, the church, everything about the church, like the structure, all the things they ask us to do, everything about it was exactly what I needed to have my life changed. And um, so it made me sad because I felt like I was just hearing all these things about the church and how the church was harming and and I, I'm not invalidating anyone's experience. Like I totally respect that people have experiences and, um, I get that 100%, but I wanted to be a voice for people who have come back. And I actually heard some stories on your podcast of people who chose to come back that actually had some pretty traumatic things happen to them, even within the church. And they still chose to come back. And, um, and then I knew my story and my husband's story. And I thought, you know, there's gotta be other people out here who have these stories. And, um, so I did episode one, it was me and my dad sharing our story and, Um, and then episode two was my husband sharing his story. And we just kept, I just slowly kept finding these stories. And, and then Lauren came on the podcast and her story is amazing. And hers isn't really tied to addiction or anything like that. She just, I mean, she is such a spiritual, she is a spiritual giant. And I am so fortunate to have her be part of the podcast. And then like, now we've got, hundreds of emails in my yeah. inbox with people sharing their stories of wanting to come back and or the stories of coming back to the church and they want to share them on the podcast. and it has been so incredible to hear these stories and I just I feel like right now there's a lot of loud voices out there of people who are leaving and um and to be quite frank, I think it's kind of becoming like a new, cool thing to leave the church, I guess. And I mean, again, I do not want to invalidate anyone's experience, but what I really truly realized is that, you know, you just never know what God is doing with somebody's life. You know, for me, don't like my addiction and everything I went through, like I could not deny my testimony because I've seen my life, transform and I've experienced a change of heart. And, you know, I can't deny that. And so even though what we went through and my parents and everything they went through, even though it was so hard and I there's a very good chance I would have not made it out alive. Um I am extremely grateful that I went through that hard time because now I'm able to use my story to share it with other people. And also I will anchor my testimony to that for the rest of my life and I just feel so fortunate to be able to have this podcast and share these stories because it's just I mean I'm sure you understand it too it's like when people you know they they trust to you enough to share their story and it's such a beautiful incredible thing to see like how God works in all of these different ways in everybody's lives and so anyway, that's that's kind of the history behind the the podcast.
0: I don't, you know, it'd just be fascinating for your younger self in some of your darkest days to see you now. Yeah. I think your husband's name, Jesse, if I'm looking through the podcast numbers right, and yep. this you know, the things you're doing professionally, where you are personally raising kids, doing this podcast, giving other people hope. I think one of the greatest gifts that you can give somebody is hope. And of course, that's our doctrine, but you have not a theoretical story of just the atonement and God's love, but you have a personal story that you cur- that you have the courage to share, Ashley. And maybe you thought, um, when I surrender, I'll never tell anybody my story, but here you are telling your story. and. That's really brave, but you know that it helps other people not feel alone, that there's hope that there's somebody that's where I am right now or in similar deserts, and they've made it back, and um, the church and the atonement were a big part of that. And you know our doctrine is Christ has already he's already paid the price. So when we surrender, so to speak, and return to the church and we take advantage of the atonement, he's already paid the price. So it's not like you're adding to his burden. You're actually taking advantage as a gift he's already given you. So sometimes mm-hmm. we, it's harder to surrender because we think we're going to cause Christ a new burden <laughs> with all of our pain. But he's paid the price and nothing we can do can take us out of God's love. That's something I wish I could communicate more clearly is because I think some people in these really dark places just think I'm outside of God's love. I've gone so far. Um, Our heavenly parents are so disappointed in me. I'm disappointed in me, so they must feel the same way. And then it's harder to feel like we can take advantage of God's love and the atonement. And I think, you know, our doctrine is not that. The prodigal son is the worst case scenario um, that I think Christ could set up so that we know that all of us are not outside of the reach of God's love. And worthiness to go to the temple can come and go, and you had to earn that back. But the love of your heavenly parents, I don't think ever ended just like your own dad's love for you never ended. And so um, I love, you didn't quite say this word exactly, but you said, let your past empower you. Um, And I just love that because I think the atonement listeners um, takes care of the sin and can help heal your heart, but it doesn't take away the life lessons and the principles and the perspectives and your ability to help others. So there's, there's beauty and just mortality and the mistakes we make, um, and I think the real test is how we respond. And for you, it took a while to get to this point, and there was it was choppy, and you wondered if you're going to make it. Um, but now you're still young; you're in your early 30s. Here's a tender question: Your kids are going to become aware of your story, and some parents would be nervous about, "Oh no, mom and." Our kids are going to learn about learn about mom and dad's story. Will this influence them in a negative way? But i I would assume you look at your experiences; it'll help you be it'll help you be more effective parents. It doesn't mean you'll have perfect kids, but do you want to talk about that? Because there may be some parents thinking, "Well, I I'm back, but I'm never going to tell my kids my story."
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's interesting that you ask this because my daughter actually, she knows that I do the podcast, you know, and she'll say, Oh, mom's doing a podcast or whatever. And and so I was doing something with the podcast the other day. And she says, so mom is your, your podcast is called the comeback podcast. Why is it called that? And I said, well, it's telling stories of people that have come back to church after they were out of the church for a while. And she said, she's like, oh, well, you know, and she's seven. So just turned seven. And I said, well, you know, and we've been pretty open, yeah. you know, like I, she knows she's and she's seen us like talking at firesides and things <laughs> like that. But, um, she, I told her, I said, you know what, Jane, I was out of the church for a while and my life was really hard and it was, I was in a really bad place. and." I decided to see what would happen if I, if I came back and I'm so grateful that I did, because now I have you and I have Calvin and dad, and we're, we have such a wonderful life today. And I know it's because heavenly father was there for me and I came back to church and I decided that I was going to keep going forward with the church. And I'm so grateful that I did. And we talk about that a little bit. And I said, there's other people lots and lots of people out there that want to share their story of coming back because, you know, some, you're going to run into people that maybe they decide the church isn't for them and they're on their own journey, but we want to share that, you know, coming back to church has been the best thing that I ever decided to do. So I'm very open with, with her for sure. And, you know, sometimes really quick, funny story. Um, She, She was saying, well, what were you doing when you were not going to church? And I gave her a very light, you know, just light PG version and said, I actually went to jail. And then she was asking me like, well, what did you do when you were in jail? And I was like, well, we played a lot of card games and stuff. And she's like, jail sounds fun. And I said, (laughs) no, jail is not fun, not fun. And then I started telling her the bad parts about jail. And then she's like, plugging her ear. She's like, okay, that's too much information. (laughs) So very fine balance. I'm still figuring out how to perfect the, the sharing and oversharing. But, um, I think for the most part, you know, I, I try to really share it's what the foundation of my testimony is built on is my experience. And I really try to share it in a way that's okay to share with a a seven-year-old, but, I mean, so far, I think it's gone pretty well.
0: <laughs> I I thought you'd have a really good answer there. And you had some practical um, situations, age appropriate. I think you're doing a good job. But, um, you know, I think kids can handle the reality of their parents' lives. And um, I think it creates safety so kids can open up to parents about the reality of their lives. Mm-hmm. If parents do that, each family is going to do that differently. You don't just... F- follow the spirit and decide how open you want to be but i don't think we're supposed to be perfect parents and a perfect past to raise perfect children right. i think one of the greatest parenting principles is be able to know what's going on in our kids lives and have tools to help them in the reality of their lives and you and your husband will have um, just really good practical plus your life experience um, it's not inviting neither of us are inviting anybody to sort of go through what Ashley had to go through so you'll be able to relate to your kids. We're not saying that. Right. But I think what I'm trying to say, especially for those of you that feel you'll never be able to teach the law of chastity or the word of wisdom because you may not have lived it, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that to yourself. Um, mm-hmm. That to me is what I call pink Mormon thinking is this idea that with a lot of forgiving of my part, or a lot of repenting on my part and a lot of forgiving on the Lord's part. My sins can go from um, scarlet to, not to white, but to pink. And I'm forever different than other Latter-day Saints because of my past. And I will never be an effective young woman's leader. I will never be the kind of wife. I'll never be able to raise kids. And I think you don't have much pink Mormon in you. You're not sort of thinking, I can't do what God wants me to do because of my past. I haven't picked up any of that in you, but some Latter-day Saints think that about themselves and it undersells the atonement and understands their ability to help and lift others. So I don't know. Um, the other thought, one little story. Um, I remember when I was a YSA Bishop, one guy just showed up to church and, and I listened to him, um, And the spirit said, and he'd gone through drug rehab and um, sort of lived a life of riotous living, and he showed up to church, and he had done so much repenting on his own. He'd put drug use behind him, and all he was doing was smoking (laughs) and coffee. And he said, I want a limited use recommend. And I sat with that for a while, listeners, and I thought my younger self as a bishop would have given him a long, drawn-out repentance process. My new—my— I sat with the Spirit a little bit, and the impression came to me he has done so much on his own with me. And he is coming to you at really at the end of the repentance process, not at the beginning of this process. Don't complicate things. He needs to be in the temple. If he can go a week without drinking and smoking and coffee, I can't quite remember what well, it was, just word of wisdom stuff, no drugs, let him have it, limited use recommend. And that's what he did. And he went to, Three temples the first day I had the limited use to recommend. It was just, it was so important for him to have that temple recommend. And I'm just grateful to get out of my mechanical checklist bishop mentality and sit with the Spirit. So that's just an invitation for those of you that have priesthood responsibility. Um, change of heart and godly sorrow are the core principles of repentance. And sometimes the checklist complicates that. <laughs> um, so sit with the Spirit a little bit. Um, just more things you'd like to share, Ashley, in one or two more segments.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, um, when you were talking just barely, I remember when I first we we had been married maybe I don't know a year or two, and I was very private about my past at that point because I thought, you know, what if people don't want their kids to play with our kids, That's or you know, what if. <laughs> and that was that was pretty something that was on my mind for sure and and then over time i just kind of realized that you know everybody has something you know <laughs> everyone has something that they're going through or that they have gone through or they have a family member that's going through it or and if you open up and you're vulnerable then other people it gives them permission to open up and share as well and I feel like this is what the gospel is all about is changing and growing and becoming closer to the savior and I why would I not share that my experience because I'm afraid of what other people think you know and and one thing that I did find was um one of my podcast guests we we're uh his his name's Drew he has a great episode but He was, we were talking about how I said, so did you ever feel judged when you came back to church? And I like asking people this because typically they say, like, no, I did not feel judged. But I think that's a big fear of people that they're gonna be judged, that people are gonna be judging them. But like I I remember when I came back to church and I was in my parents' ward and they all knew, you know, like my face was on the county website booking page. Like they knew what I was going through. And I have never felt so loved in my entire life. And actually, it was really freeing because I was like they don't expect anything of me. <laughs> like they aren't even expecting me to be here. So I tr- got to truly experience like okay, God, like I'm going to church and I'm here to like just for you, like not for anybody else. I don't care what they think. Like I am here for you. And um anyway, so going back to Drew, he said, "You know what? I actually have felt more judged by people outside of the church for coming back to church than I ever did by people, you know, in the church when I started coming back. And I thought that was so interesting because I have felt that similarly, like I, I get a lot of comments on social media and TikTok and all over the place. And I'm like, people really, they, have opinions about me, what I share about the church. And, and so I, I thought that was really quite interesting. Um, but I mean, in my personal experience, people are really loving and, and if you get somebody that's judgmental and they say something weird or whatever, it's like, who cares what they think? (laughs) You know, like we're here for our relationship with God. We're here to be better people. And People are people inside and outside of the church. We have there everyone makes mistakes. Even bishops and stake presidents and all all kinds of people they say things that are weird or you're like why would you say that? You know, like that that's just people inside and outside of the church and I think that you know if you are truly seeking to better your relationship with the Savior um Just somebody, if you feel judged by somebody, then just be like, who cares what they think? I don't care. I'm here to go to church and be with, spend time with God. And I don't care what they think. (laughs) So that's, that's kind of what I've, what I've learned over the last several years. I, I didn't always feel that way, but I definitely feel that way now.
0: Anything else you'd like to share, Ashley?
1: Um... I I would like to say that um, I've shared a lot about my addiction recovery and coming back to church, but the podcast has stories all across the board of people who have left for all kinds of reasons, a lot of faith crisis things. I know that a big thing nowadays is like people run into a piece of information online where they didn't know that about the church um, or, you know there's all kinds of stuff on the internet. And one of my favorite things to do is to interview people who have encountered that. And then like, they have really like studied their way back into the church. Um, We have so many good episodes like that. And one of my recent ones that I did, that is one of my favorites is Don Bradley. I interviewed Don Bradley and he's actually a church historian who left the church because he started to feel like maybe Joseph Smith was an opportunist. And then he studied his way back into the church and it was so incredible. And so I love that one. Um, I I mean, there's so many good ones. I can't even say like we also had. Um,
0: Leo is somebody I know that's been on yes, your platform.
1: Leo. Man. Yeah, he was on. I love I love his um, Jared Halverson came yeah. on the podcast. Um, we even had Tad R. Collister on the podcast. That was fun. Um, we've had a lot of, there's so many good episodes that like, I yeah, just anyone that wants to listen to some really cool stories of just real, real experiences, I would say check it out.
0: You are doing great work, trailblazing work in our community. And I love the, I love that it's kind of multidimensional comeback, um, People that are working through faith crisis and come back, people that are working through commandment keeping, people that are working through both. <laughs> Every story is yep. different. And I, you've got 58 episodes. You have so many reviews, um, five stars, um, so many people commenting on your podcast. What you're doing is so needed, but you're the authentic person to do it um, because you have a personal story and you're willing to share your story. So people feel safe with you. I'm sure you we'll put your email in the show notes. It's on your podcast anyway, so um, you're willing to make um, yourself available. So um, listeners, just act on your impressions on how this podcast and Ashley's story can help you. Please check out Comeback Podcast. Um, I bet there's stories that will help you or stories that will help somebody um, in your circle of influence. And Actually, keep being Ashley Stone. Don't be anybody but Ashley Stone. I think you don't need that advice. I think <laughs> you're really confident and comfortable in your skin and who you are and um, not trying to be somebody else. And you really own your whole story, your whole you. And, and I think that's role models that for all of us and um, just best wishes to you and Jesse and these kids. And you're young. You're not sort of writing this story at 60 or 50. Um, so you're. I'm glad you're speaking in firesides and to youth groups, and um, I would think, and professionally, you're really busy and got a great career, but you will do a lot of good in our faith community and beyond for a lot of people. So thank you for um, surrendering and and acknowledging those little cues along the way, um, the patriarchal blessing wording that the missionaries mentioned, the Book of Mormon bookmark in that pink Bible, I think. My wife has pink scriptures. I think of um, her scriptures when you said that story. And um, so thank you. I'm just so deeply moved and so glad um, to have heard more of your story.
1: Well, thank you so much. I, I feel the same way about you. I think, man, you're just amazing. And I've always felt that way. And I know my my sister and her husband, they, they love your podcast. So I'm sure they would love it if I gave, you know. <laughs> Pass the kudos all along from them <laughs> to you. So,
0: well, it's a team effort. So, but I'm really glad your podcast is taking off. And listeners, I think I mentioned this beginning I'm not trying to be the, the podcast guy. I maybe hope to retire someday and, um <laughs> you know, people can step forward like you're doing. And the all in podcast is terrific. And so, anyway, this is R- Ashley Stone and Richard Oster signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.